Blog Talk Radio. The great city playboys, they're always around to help build your hope up and help drag you down. They'll leave you with nothing worth singing about. It's Thursday, May 15th, 2014. You're checking in with your smoking nephew, Blazing Rye. And I'd like to welcome the Sade to my batter and wall, Mr. Jonathan Weeks. Jonathan, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing, man? Hey! Well, man. Hey, What's yeah, going on in that beautiful mind? You're my magical mystery ride. Got my head spinning. No kidding. No. What is going on with my wire here? Let me just uh, adjust my wire, Weeks. Oh, okay. Adjust those wires. Uh, okay. the wire. Even through the fire. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, I I I barely remembered what day it was when I just said it was uh, Thursday. I was up till 4 a.m. last night because there's been this um, uh, what do you call it a, a pest crisis that the exterminator has come to. Uh, rectify and uh, uh, the only salvage in my Wednesday night was that there was the season finale of Nashville and I thoroughly enjoyed that um, but other than that it was a fucking nightmare uh, you know I've, I've told what, 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 what can you say to me right now to get me to calm down and focus on this episode um, bugs suck No, they don't. They actually are, are friends. I don't know why you'd want to kill them. Keep, you know, you, you should actually bring more bugs into your apartment. Yeah, I'm tempted. You should, but just bring them in. They're your friends. They're there to kill other bugs and kind of make an ecosystem out of your apartment. Yeah, that's why I moved in here, because of the ecosystem. <laughs> oh, we uh, all what? just bugs. <clears throat> yeah. What's going on with you, my friend? Not much, man. Not much. Uh, just chilling like a villain and, uh, you know, twerking and working. Um, just hitting them books, man. And, uh, you know, I didn't do too much over the weekend, so um, it's a lot of work. I don't even know what I did. I think I slept most of the weekend at work. You, did you sleep out? <laughs> what the hell? What the hell? What the hell? Sometimes I fall asleep at work, yes. Um... Well, you know, uh, th- that is how I felt today. I felt as though I was going to fall asleep at my desk, man. <laughs> I felt this way all, the entire week. I don't know what it is. It's just I was really tired. I think it's all these allergens blowing up all over the place and the nice weather and the wind. Uh, it's blowing it all in your face. What do you all do about the allergies? You take the Allegra, the Claritin, the Zyrtec? What is I, it? Are you I, I like... I haven't taken any, but you know I can't even see anymore, and it looks like I'm crying every day. 
You're going to get the bubonic plague, man. I, I'm, I, yeah, I am. I think I'm going for the bubonic plague. Is that why, because the fact that you can't see and shit, is that why you had the uh, uh, no glasses in that photo the other day? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I know. It's, it's, it's shocked a lot of people. They somebody even <laughs> commented, wow, you look scary. Right. <laughs> I think that was Richard Hakimian. Yes, yeah, that was Richard, my good friend Richard Kibi. You know, one, one guy said to me in middle school when I took my glasses off, just for a second, you know, I, I took my glasses off, I need to wipe them. He said, wow, you should put those back on, bro. You look like a serial killer without your glasses. <laughs> That's true, but I think you also look like a serial killer with your glasses. <laughs> Have you noticed most serial killers wear glasses? They do. I don't know what it is. I mean, uh, you know, I, glasses, I think, are really fun. I mean, they make someone look smarter than they really are sometimes, you know? Yeah. I don't think that my point is accurate either. I think I'm thinking of assassins like uh, Mark David Chapman. Not necessarily serial killer, but wears the glasses and, uh, you know, is very creepy. And No, and you're right, that. because uh, I think uh, Jeffrey Dahmer did. He wore glasses. I think John Wayne Gacy did. A lot oh. of these serial killers, they wear glasses. I mean, they, I don't know, maybe they were, they were seeing the wrong thing. Do you think that, uh, or maybe it was an old version of Google Glass, but it was serial <laughs> killer glass. I think that's what it was, serial killer. Uh, they got a hold of the wrong stuff. That's so all when they got a hold of the SKG, what were they seeing inside those glasses? Maybe they were seeing bugs, and, you know, bugs have to be exterminated. That's what we're taught from the very beginning of our lives. So, I mean, okay. can we really blame them for what they're doing? <laughs> and then when they, what they do is they, uh, they, they uh, somehow the serial killer Google Yahoo Glass uh, <laughs> changes it into the bugs, into people, and then these guys go after the people as if they're going after bugs. <laughs> Yes, that's right. That's right, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate it. Hey, John Weeks. Oh, by the way, I just want to tell everyone, uh, tonight uh, we will be speaking with a drama therapist uh, or maybe somebody involved in the field of drama therapy. I don't want to get him in trouble again. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. Well, I think I just fucked the whole thing up. Um, he, he, like, specifically emailed me. Make make sure what happened last time doesn't happen again this time. Um, so, so, but hey, you never know. Um, but uh, we'll be talking to uh, my buddy Jason Friedman tonight. Tonight will not necessarily be a normal episode. You'll have your weeks. You'll have your blazing rye. You'll have your wizard. Um, but the free for all conversation. Uh, is is going to be geared towards a uh, topic with our friend Jason Friedman. Weeks, is that all right with you, sir? That's, that's plenty fine. A little variety, that does the soul good, I think. That's right. It does. Or it's even the spice of life, some may say. That's right. Got to spice up your life. That's spice of life. Where'd you hear it said like that? Oh, <laughs> I, I just remember Ginger Spice talking like that. <laughs> Ginger Spice sounded like a 90-year-old Chinese man on Canal Street. 
<laughs> it does actually. It sounds like the little Asian guy in uh, Big Trouble in Little Chinatown. Remember Little Tokyo? Yes. So that was a good movie. <laughs> that was not a movie, was it? Yeah, it was uh, Big Trouble in Little Tokyo or Little Asia or something. Oh, uh, that was Russell. That was a song by Bling Dynasty. Great oh, band. Yeah, that was a, that was an incredible song. <laughs> um, oh, speaking of, uh, by the way, we're talking about when Weeks and I saw Michael Jackson at Webster Hall, weirdest night ever. Um, but uh, have you heard this new Justin Timberlake and Michael Jackson song? You know what? I'm really disappointed in myself. I have not heard that song, and I have the feeds in my Facebook all the time. I should just listen to it. Can I just tell you, it is so good. It is so good. Is it really Is it really good? Is it really good? Is it a pertinent song today? Is it like a really good song that could do well? Yes. Oh, my God. Then I got to listen to it. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I got to go for a couple minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goodbye. But, you know, no, the thing I, uh, people I have been looking forward to a Michael Jackson song that brings him success today. I would, I'm going to listen to this as soon as we're done. Yes, good. People have tried, like Akon came out with that weird hold my hand, you know, that whole thing. Uh, but uh, but I don't think, you know, people haven't taken it seriously until, you know, you can't get much more uh, uh, pop royalty than Justin Timberlake. And he, uh, I heard him on Ryan Seacrest the other day, and he said that the... Um, he was like, you know, being the the Michael Jackson purist that I am, I was always very tentative about doing anything like this. But Timberland called and he said that L.A. Reid had all these these tracks, like tons of songs that from Michael Jackson. And, you know, uh, Tim brought me in and we did the track. And, and that's when I kind of realized, you know, when I heard it, I was like, OK, we, we got to do this. So I think there's a little more legitimacy to this than your typical posthumous uh uh, collaborations. I, I can't wait to hear it. And, uh, you know, Justin Timberlake, Michael Jackson, in the same song, I mean, it has the uh, inklings of being one of the most incredible songs of the year, quite frankly. i got to ask you this question. I, I mean, I know this is a little off topic. But yes. don't you just think that Michael Jackson should have came out with Unbreakable versus You Rock My World as the first single off that album? Bro, I've... I've been, you know, we've talked, I've been saying that since Jump Street, man. You know this, man. I know, I know, I know, but people don't talk about this. This is a serious <laughs> issue. I love that song, Unbreakable. I think that's one of his best songs. Woo! Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, it might be my favorite MJ song. It's, it's just uh, th- that, you know, what happened with, with that was uh, Sony made him release You Rock My World, and it, you know, I, I thought You Rock My World had a, had great verses, but not right. a very strong chorus. Unbreakable, right. just a great song altogether with that. Right. You can't believe it. You can't conceive it. Wow. You know, I loved that. Wow. And then the Biggie? What about Biggie on that? Woo! Yeah, I don't know how it went, but it was... <laughs> yeah, Biggie was on that song. Mm-hmm. That song would have... His whole, I think his whole life after that would have been totally different if he put out that song. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, nobody, nobody really heard that song that should have been here, and that's the only reason people... That song came out our freshman year of college 
when I was at Syracuse and you were somewhere. And the only uh, reason anyone in my class heard that song was because I would like, I remember I played it during a, a scene, my acting professor, uh, Victor Lazaro, um, had us do these scenes uh, where we were getting ready. And so during my, you know, I, I made believe I was getting ready to go out a night on town. And I remember doing some weird things in that class during that scene. Like, I remember there was uh, this, um, like, blonde highlighting uh, uh, goo that you, I put in my hair. And there was, like, blue stuff and white stuff, too. But I put the, the, the yellow stuff in my – I never did that when I went out. And I'm just, you know, I, I'm just doing it in class as if I do that all the time. But the point is – uh, during when I was putting the shit in my hair and putting my earrings in, boy, I was like a real Strong Island douche canoe. Uh, or like trying to be. I definitely wasn't, but I was trying to be. But like it was, but as I was doing it was the whole Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I, you were the one who told me about that song in the first place. I think you sent yeah. it over to me where, wherever I was in school, and I think I sent you an album. It was uh, MC Hammer's Comeback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Jason Friedman will be on in just a second. I see you, buddy. Hold on a second. Uh, that MC Hammer uh, track was like, <laughs> there ain't no stopping us. We're holding it down. There ain't going to be no stopping us. We're breaking it down. U.S.A. You <laughs> that is all I remember, and I cannot believe that you thought that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Sorry. There's a lot of weird things that I think are great. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's yeah, a lot like of weird. Yeah, like you too. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> and Kings of Leon. And Republic. You got me, man. You got me. Um, so, uh, the, the, but the, the thing that I want to tell you before we bring Jason on about Unbreakable is that... Um, you remember my friend Rob Schlissel? Yeah, of course I remember Rob, yeah. Okay, so Rob made a mixtape off of songs that he downloaded off of Napster, uh, and we were in his car. It was me, Julian, and Rob, and uh, he he plays Unbreakable, or what he thinks is Unbreakable, and we're like, Rob, what is this MJ song? And he's like, oh, it's Unbreakable. And Julian and I are like, that is not Unbreakable. And Rob is like, what? It is Unbreakable. I downloaded it. It's Unbreakable. And Julian was like, Rob, man, I'm not feeling this. This is not Unbreakable, man. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of that song, Michael, whatever it was, Michael goes, <laughs> she didn't know shit. <laughs> and Julian lost his mind. He started laughing so hard. He was like, damn, Michael was angry. She didn't know shit. <laughs> What do you think about that? Oh, I just hilarious. And then, you don't really see Michael ever angry, but I, I think that would be hilarious to hear that. Oh, my God, you did a good impression. <laughs> All right. So it's time to bring on our favorite drama therapy friend on the Blaze and Rye radio programs, Mr. Jason Friedman. Hey! hey! What's happening, Ryan? Friedman, Hey, Friedman, hey! 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 Hey,
going to be back. Be back by in about three years, maybe. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, it's been a long and, time. And I, I was telling why weeks have, Why have you waited so long to bring it back on? Uh, well, I, I believe that, that maybe there, there, there was an incident in the past. <laughs> there was an incident, which we shall not refer to. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, uh, John Weeks is uh, my co-host for this Blazing Right Backstage program. I believe this is the first time you've met Jonathan, Jason, Jason, Jonathan. John, How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, sir. Good. It's good to be on the show. I heard your guys' uh, episode when you drove up to, to New Haven, and I thought it was a, a beautiful partnership between the two of you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm excited. I'm excited to to be subject to uh, to uh, you and Ryan together in action. Well, you should not. Be. You should not be excited. Um, but uh, you, Mr. Friedman, have spent a lot of years studying uh, drama therapy, talking about drama therapy. It's a subject that not a lot of people know about. Um, uh, you've talked about it a few times on this show. What yeah. are you doing currently in that field? That's a great question, Ryan. Um, all right, so you know, my journey with drama therapy um, after NYU it led me to a couple different venues, um, and uh, I landed at a place called Creative Alternatives of New York, and I was working there for about a year, and that really shaped um, my thinking around the kind of population I wanted to work with, utilizing drama therapy, and that was a, a, a population that's adversely affected by trauma. Um, I just saw, you know, the prevalence of it in the uh, work that I was practicing, and um, I uh, wanted to focus my uh, thinking and drama therapy around that. And uh, so that led me through the CANDY process, which is a trauma-informed uh, approach um, using drama therapy to help individuals across the lifespan um, deal with traumatic events. And then I got hired at a place up in New Haven, which I know the two of you Hello. are familiar with intimately. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm called the Post Traumatic Stress Center, and uh, I am still currently there for the past three years. Oh, wow. And uh, we, we use, uh, you know, a trauma-informed model um, of drama therapy uh, to help people, once again, across the uh, age spectrum um, at an outpatient clinic, but also we have a program in the school system where we go into the schools and we um, sort of help um, kids in the schools manage uh, some of the symptomology that might um, come up based on traumatic events. A lot of these kids are in the schools, and they come from neighborhoods where there's a lot of gun violence. Um, there might be physical sexual abuse happening. Uh, there might be a lot of domestic violence. Um, there might be neglect. And these kids go in the classroom, and we expect them to sort of focus on their multiplication tables. But, you know, imagine like a fourth grader sitting at his desk worried if he's going to eat that night. He's not worried. You know, he can't focus on, you know, what um, the multiplication tables are. There's a hierarchy yeah. of needs there, and so that creates a lot of um, cognitive interference. So what we try to do is go in the school system. Uh, we provide some psychoeducation to the kids about trauma, um, about what could happen to somebody um, if they're affected by trauma, and we help them to sort of unload um, some of the traumatic material as well um, that they're sitting with in class so that they can have somebody there to unload with, share with. They're not isolated, they're not holding it by themselves. Um, and they get to process some of the material, and then we bring them back to class. This all happens in the middle of the day while kids are um, at school, you know, engaged in the learning process. So that's sort of what I've been doing in terms of my professional self. And then uh, in September, I decided to, I decided to go back to school. And so I'm in a PhD mm-hmm. program 
at uh, Fordham University and I'm studying uh, school psychology. And uh, a lot of my research and work is around trying to articulate the cognitive basis um, that I think um, drama therapy has, which has not been done to a, a, a very large extent. So that's sort of my focus now. And hopefully my contribution will be on a large scale um, is understanding cognitively what's happening in the brain, how drama therapy um, galvanizes some of those cognitive functions. Okay. Uh, well, that, that is, uh, it's surprising to me that the cognitive aspect has not been um, implemented earlier or vice versa. Uh, but before we do that, I, I realized uh, I, I am not happy with my introduction of you. Uh, Weeks, do you mind reintroducing <laughs> Jason Friedman? No problem. I got this uh, from the Internet. Thank you. Okay. I'd like to introduce oh, the man who created the pop-up ads that you see all over the Internet and the iPhone app. Auto-tune your grandmother to make her sound more interesting. Jason Friedman, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. You got you to gotta have love for the grandma. You know, I don't think people in this world have enough deference toward their grandmothers. And it's a generational gap. It's a generational gap. You know, they're, they're imparting a lot of wisdom and love and care, and uh, we should honor that. But think about it this way. If you create an app which trans transitions their language to be more, you know, like hip and happening, then things then right. you, you, you and your grandma are on the same page. That's right, all the time. That's it. That's it. I appreciate it. So you can buy Thank it for five ninety nine. That's a little, that's an expensive application. Five ninety nine? Are you well, most apps are ninety nine cents. Well, are you pl- are you placing a price of love for your grandmother? Well, in auto-tune version, yes. <laughs> oh, can, yeah, dude. Well, tell you guys got, that. Got, um, got to get down to some to some grandma stuff. Now, the, speaking of grandma stuff, this was said recently by a <clears throat> a, a colleague of mine. Um, she said that she did. Uh, she is Indian herself. And she said quite offensively that she was like, I can't take the head bobbing. So, you know, the stereotypical thing about the uh, Indian guys who head bob. And so then I'm like, well, that's a terrible thing to say. And then she says, uh, yeah, all of my grandparents were like that. But three out of four of them were dead by the time uh, I, I remember. So I was happy about that. <laughs> oh, oh man! I mean, how? Oh. What a horrible thing to say! <laughs> really, really horrible thing to say. On all that. That's, anyway, that's not that's not a nice thing to say. No, no. definitely not. No. Uh, Maybe this app will help. You know, ensure that that those feelings don't come out in the future for people. Yeah, send her the app. Definitely. I'm gonna send her the app. Yeah, free one. <laughs> free one. Free one. <laughs> oh, the, the, it's the auto tune your grandmother light. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Diet auto tune your grandmother. Um, uh, all right, so Friedman, the, uh, the, 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 this uh, uh, the first sentence in your um, the outline to uh, a thesis that you once wrote uh, says drama therapy has long lacked a language congruent with cognitive psychology. Uh, now, as I said, this to me is surprising. Why, why do you think that is? Uh, well, you know, I think. Um, drama therapy was really 
uh, born out of a much more psychodynamic and psychoanalytic framework. Um, you know, it's grounded in this idea um, that there are archetypes in the world and that um, they inform the way in which we interact with one another. Um, so, like, we play different roles in our lives. And so, you know, the cognitive revolution didn't come around until a little bit after drama therapy was sort of uh, beginning its gestation period. So a lot of the um, founding people in drama therapy were coming out of a background um, that was psychodramatically based, um, which was created, psychodrama was created by a guy who was linked to Freud and um, that long line of thinking in psychology. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those teachings get passed on. Those are still the folks who are in, uh, in the positions in the academic world in drama therapy, still wearing the papers, and there's a tremendous amount of value to um, that, that base for, for drama therapy. Um, and I really want to point out and, and emphasize this, which is I'm not trying to say that drama therapy should absolutely move towards a cognitive understanding of itself and only live within that realm. What I'm trying to do and what my argument is to my field is that we need to articulate all aspects of it. So we have to continue to investigate and understand and extrapolate the social-emotional value that happens in drama therapy based on an embodied encounter with one another about the relationship, about stepping into role and character, and uh, using metaphor um, as well to sort of process and analyze um, what our experience in the world is. And also, also, if we can do that, and I think we've done that to a really phenomenal extent, and we should continue to do that, but if I can say, and then along with that, these are the cognitive processes that I see taking place or that I've studied and I can empirically prove if that's possible, and I'm not going to wood here, um, you know, then we have a trifecta approach here to drama therapy, which is that it not only handles the social and emotional development of the individual, but also can help with the cognitive understanding of, of the individual as well. So you have a cognitive, social, emotional approach to treating um, individuals who are seeking uh, help with uh, mental illness or with uh, social support or, or whatnot. So that's sort of um, what my argument is. And uh, that's not to say that other folks haven't written some, some cognitively focused stuff, but um, I, I, we haven't taken an, uh, a huge um, study or an investigation that's really exploring and articulating some of the things that I, I did in my thesis that you have in front of me. And so I just want to put it out there to the, to the listener as well. I said why in an outline of my master's thesis, which a lot of my thinking has, has changed on drama therapy since then. So <laughs> this will be fun. <laughs> I like how you said. I like how you said. I want to put this out to the listener, knowing full well that we have <laughs> one listener. <laughs> I want everybody out there around the world to know <laughs> that I'm going to build upon these questions you're going to ask me. Yes. Well. Well. Now it's all you know. Now I can't even uh, use any of them. But uh, the uh, so how. Then, Jason, um, using this uh, cognitive psychology, uh, how, how do you think that this could alter drama therapy sessions or counseling uh, in in the long run? I, I you know, I, it's kind of a, uh, I, I don't know if you can speak to that question, uh, but I would like it if you could. Sure. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's the dominant paradigm right now in psychotherapy is mm-hmm. coming. I mean, um, cognitive behavioral 
Right. So the sort of the insurance companies are saying, hey, folks, we're not going to pay out for any more of the sort of psychoanalytic um, approaches where you're going to see your psychoanalyst three or four times a week. And there's no, it's really process oriented and the goals and um, objectives um, are, are, are a little bit ill-defined. Um, and it's more open to interpretation. Now um, the big pull is toward um, creating a mental health process that is really targeted, very goal-oriented, and they want to see efficient results within a short period of time, right? So that's sort of mm-hmm. where the dominant paradigm has, has headed now, the cognitive psychology. It's called the cognitive revolution sort of took over psychology. So I actually don't think that uh, my work is aiming to change or shift drama therapy practice. What I'm trying to do is show that drama therapy practice has an effect on not only a social-emotional realm, but also a cognitive realm as well. So I, I talk about executive functioning, um, which is the cognitive process. Um, it's sort of cognitive flexibility. So it's the way in which you organize the world around you in a cognitive framework. So where your attention is placed, um, how you inhibit um, competing impulses in any particular moment, um, how you can take information and then reconcile that information with stored um, pockets of data you have in your mind, and also you know how you mentally represent other people's experience uh, as well. So being able to do all those things fluidly, um, you sort of are able to navigate the world successfully. However, um, executive functioning deficits contribute to a lot of the diagnosis that we see in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Um, so if stepping into character or role-playing or improvising helps to, and, and then this is my argument, helps to galvanize those cognitive processes that I was just talking about, the attention, the inhibition, the working memory, the theory of mind. If we have to utilize all of those cognitive functions to step into a character, to engage in improvisation, um, then perhaps galvanizing those mechanisms that might be at a deficit because of the psychopathology. Um, mm. would prove to be, to be remediating in a way. And so then drama therapy could not only get at the emotional quality and sensibility that somebody's striving to sort of attain or seeking, um, but also can help them improve cognitive functioning as well. So um, it's not I'm that... I'm scared about when that happens. Okay. So it's, it's not that uh, you're looking to uh, implement changes in the practice of drama therapy, but it's, it's your... Uh, argument is that uh, drama therapy uh, has these cognitive effects. Yeah, that's that's my hope, man. You know, that's that's my hope. Mm-hmm. That's my theory, and uh, and uh, that's what I'm trying to work towards in my PhD right now is trying to be able to articulate that um, and understand that and actually see if it's happening. You know, it's like mm-hmm. fantastic to have a theory about it. It makes sense on paper, and when I look mm-hmm. at all the data and <laughs> reconcile it with, you know, drama therapy theory and the practice of drama therapy and me being a practicing drama therapist. Uh, now I, I, I see how it makes sense, but clearly mm-hmm. you know, I, I have to prove that. So I'll be spending the next, I just finished my first year of doctoral study uh, for the next four years trying to make that happen. So. Damn, <laughs> son. You love that's school. Where I'm at, that's uh, like so school. Weeks, uh, I just want to point out to you, sir, that um, being up until 4 a.m. last night dealing with this uh, situation did not do me well for this interview. Lack of sleep usually does that. Yes, Ryan, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, uh, well, I'll explain the situation in a bit. 
But um, I, hopefully I'm somewhat coherent tonight, uh, Friedman, because I uh, don't want to uh, let you down. But, uh, do, John Weeks, do you know what time it is? Oh, my God. It's not the, uh, the awards. I'm at the awards. Oh, my God. I think you fell asleep at 5 a.m. Please welcome to the program the Wizard of Waverly Place, Tom Fogarty. Tom Fogarty, the Wizard Knight. Hey, Are you sleeping over there? Huh? Are you asleep? <laughs> what? <laughs> Is this uh-huh. thing on? Can anybody hear me? <laughs> how how are you doing today, sire? I'm 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 I've been better, but I'm here. <laughs> I'm still what? here. That doesn't sound good. What's what's wrong? Oh no, no, I'm fine. Oh, good. Okay. No explosive diarrhea. Oh, no, 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 no. Nope, that's long past, hopefully. <laughs> Damn, no, I should, have, I should have had that colonoscopy scheduled for that period, though, because, goddamn, I was cleaned out. That must have been a hell of a mess. I'll say. I don't like hearing the words colonoscopy. Uh, I reckon it was. Who have you got yeah, for us lost. tonight for the hey, hot yeah, mess I just wanted to comment on your last guest. You know, I had a Clay who went to school with you all. She just graduated with a degree now from NYU in drama therapy as well. Wow. So oh, it, yeah? It, it seems to be the next frontier. Well, let's hope. I think we're all trying yeah. to work toward that. Okay. Well, my first hot mess has got to be this hero cat. Have you heard about this? Yes. The cat that, like, saved the little boy from the dog? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, well, now Cat Fancy Magazine has come calling for Hero Cat and wants to feature it on the cover and everything. And I understand that Vivid Videos is right behind because they want to do some kitty porn. I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself there. <laughs> <laughs> and who's your second hot mess? My second hot mess has got to be poor Nicole Kidman's face at the Cannes Film Festival. Oh. Uh, it's it's really a sad indictment of what, you know, women in particular, but actors in general, feel like they have to do to keep their careers <laughs> vibrant and vital. Uh, apparently, she just had a little too much on the fillers and the Botox prior to getting to Cannes, and she just looks like a friggin' basketball face. She's barely recognizable. Oh. And she's, you know, she's over there pushing this big uh, Princess Grace movie that right. she's done. Right. But it's just, Very... it's just so sad, you know. It's she's a gorgeous woman. Be forty-seven, you know. Be gorgeous yeah. at forty-seven. Yeah. yeah. Why you've got to go in for fillers and end up, you know, looking like a float? Friedman, <laughs> you get Botox sometimes, don't you? Uh, yeah, I get regular checkups every two weeks. Got to keep it up. <laughs> I think that that sounds uh, excessive. And who's your final hot mess, sire? My final hot mess is going to have to be the first class lounge of United Airlines. Have you heard this? 
No. No. They barred a Will I Am from the first class lounge, claiming, and I quote, he did not meet the criteria for the facility. What? Ooh. Yeah. Like, how many fucking, you know, frequent flyer miles and elite pass cards does a black man got to have to be able to get into the first class lounge? What? But then what killed it was, after that whole fiasco that he goes through that and being booted from the first class lounge, the fucking pilot of the plane recognized him and wanted to do a selfie with him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, that's, it's, it's, I could understand uh, if you're basing it purely on his music that it sucks. So if that's why, (laughs) then I get it. Now, now. (laughs) Um, All right. So thank you for the hot mess award, Sire. Uh, It is now time to joke off. Are you guys lubed up and ready to go? Ready for the jack-off, baby. I'm ready to go. Okay, All right, well, if you need some lubricants yourself, go to blazingryeradio.com, click on the banners for adameevetoys.com, and you can get that anal-flavored mist that Weeks is always talking about at the lowest price available. I love a good anal mist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we have uh, four people joking off, so uh, so this is exciting. As, as Weeks said, variety is, what did you say before? The spice of life. No, but how did you say it? The spice of life. <laughs> That's cinder spice. That's cinder spice, right? That sounds like her. <laughs> All right, kick us off, Weeky Mon. All righty. Researchers today at UCLA's Civil Rights Project revealed they believe that the South has lost all racial integration progress made after 1967's Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision. Now, that's what I'm talking about, said Donald Sterling. Uh (laughs) Today, former NFL star Aaron Hernandez was indicted on a double homicide that occurred in Boston in 2012 proving yet again that Hernandez is a gun-wielding patriot. In other words, a Republican. (laughs) He is going to be one fine piece of ass behind bars, though. (laughs) Okay, radio legend Casey Kasem, who was reportedly missing by his daughter, has been found in Washington State. Damn, son. We can't even find Casey Kasem, but we got to look at Dick Clark's scary-ass corpse every New Year's. (laughs) (laughs) A new survey from dating site Victoria Milan reveals 73% of the women who cheat on their husbands do so because they find their partner really, really annoying. And 100% that it's because they are married to men. (laughs) <laughs> yep Victoria's not the only one with a secret <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris revealed on Howard Stern Wednesday that CBS proposed 
he succeed David Letterman on The Late Show? Ferris told Stern, he turned it down and said, I think I would get bored of the repetition fast. Mm-hmm. Well, now you know how we feel, said all the viewers of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Zing to How I Met Your Mother. Zing. All right, I'm back up. I'm back up. All right, a Bakersfield boy was riding his bike when being attacked by a neighbor's dog. The boy's cat came to his rescue, scared off the dog, while the boy's father caught the whole thing on tape. The video wins the award for most awesome cat and worst dad ever. And that's your <laughs> cat. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Terrible father, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. he's just taping the thing. Terrible father. Shakira, Shakira announced this week that she has no plans of returning to The Voice anytime soon. When asked if she would ever return, she should sit, she said... You never know. Amazing. All right. Quality yodeling. Um, all right. CBS announced Wednesday that Two and a Half Men will end after its upcoming 12th season. Well, that's an epic amount of seasons. Uh, in response, Two and a Half Men writer said, We thought it ended five years ago. Which <laughs> <is a lot. laughs> yep. How does that show last 12 is, years? Is Ashton Kutcher still on that show? She is. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good for that guy. <laughs> a new study shows many people suffer from a sleep disorder called exploding head syndrome. Oh, yeah? Well, I suffer from an awake disorder called exploding dick syndrome. <laughs> Oh, a little bit too soon. You, you, using that, that anal flavor mist? That was a pilot one, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, a South Florida police officer was filmed kicking the legs out from under a handcuffed 13-year-old boy for apparently no reason. When asked why he did it, the officer in question said, because Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I advertising, that. advertising giant Ogilvy and Mother apologized on Thursday for a controversial ad for mattress retailer Curlon featuring a gory cartoon of Taliban shooting victim and activist Pakistani teenager Malala Yousafzai being shot in the head. The ad shows the young girl facing down the gun, being shot and tumbling through the air while injured. After landing on a curl-on mattress, she is able to bounce back and honored for her work. In other news, Agalivi and Mother is the worst advertising agency ever. <laughs> good, yeah, good but, Lord, but, wow. But Ogilvy and Mather is pretty damn good. Oh, they're good. They're better. <laughs> yeah, I hear they're fantastic as well. This Ogilvy, yeah. I got your, your cop brothers right here. Cockroach, 4 a.m., you know? Is that what happened this morning, Ryan? Say who? No, go ahead. Is this thing on? (laughs) At Telefonica's data centers in Spain, designer Timo Arnal revealed a project called Internet Machine, which is a six-minute, three-screen film that lets people see and hear the sounds of Internet data being stored. Five minutes and 59 seconds of this video is a bouncing tit. 
<laughs> like, like you know, like the um, what are those guys? Those two billionaire brothers who are supporting the uh, who are fun- the 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 Cox the Cox brothers, Cox, Cox, yeah. Let's by the way, let's agree that they're the Cox, the Cox brothers. Cock. Yeah, yeah, I think that's okay. Okay, yeah. the little Cox brothers. Yeah, <laughs> these fucking guys. The lots of Cox brothers. <laughs> A video. Obtained by the Daily Mail shows a British nanny violently slamming an 18-month-old baby into his crib. But the nanny walked free after the child's parents pressed charges. Damn, how does the nanny get off for hitting a child? And they wanted to lock me up for when I smacked the shit out of Fran's restroom. Mr. Sheffield. What can I say? <laughs> Anger issue. Smack her again. Smack her again. <laughs> She's on Broadway. You could go smack her with uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. Uh, you know, smack Fran Dresser and call the other one, maybe. I love her. I love Call Me Maybe. It's very catchy. <laughs> I remember we listened to it on the way to uh, Dusnick's bachelor party. And that's the moment we'll always have together. <laughs> Chipotle. Weeks. Chipotle. <laughs> Twice. 48-year-old Texas middle school teacher Patricia Almond has been charged with a DWI after authorities said she was swerving all over the road. Almond told authorities, I wasn't drunk. I was just pumping some sage of Gemini in my ride. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> um, Patricia Allman's got nuts. <laughs> Somalia. Somalia don't. But Japana. The Babana Dental Diamond. The Babana Dental Diamond. The Babana Dental Diamond. Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazeen. Unbelievable. <laughs> Blade Runner Oscar Pistorius will undergo a psychiatric evaluation after the judge ruled at his murder trial Wednesday that his state of mind should be assessed by experts. Jeez, I don't know, but if my first instinct was to shoot and kill someone because I heard a noise when I was taking a shit, then maybe a mental health exam should have been the first thing we did, asshole. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Researchers this week announced the antidepressant citalopram could slow Alzheimer's disease by stopping plaque buildup in the in the I forget, Jim. You take the next joke. <laughs> Water Lake the Wolf released a list today of fifteen unmistakable signs you hit middle age. They include a muffin top in your midsection and forgetfulness. Also, when you be dunking your balls in the shitty toilet water, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, I hate when that happens. <laughs> Divorced. Yeah. All right. Uh, 29-year-old Florida man Jeremy Bryant is accused of trying to kill his ex-girlfriend with a sword, hacksaw, a propane tank, and my favorite, wind chimes. When asked why he did this, he said, because Florida. 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 I'm getting all the wrong audio.
situation so last night I was you know packing shit up and uh, I was up until 4 a.m. and uh, oh, it, it was it was just uh, you know last two nights last three days four days uh, have been a nightmare um, so uh, but boy there is nowhere I'd rather be than talking to you two right now right here oh thank you I, I appreciate that but I've, I've been through that I've been through that nightmare before man it's it's the war oh yeah yeah oh uh, yeah Bed bug scare. Yeah, nightmare. Um, is it confirmed? Is it confirmed or is it suspect? Well, this, this, somebody somebody suspected it, reported it, and then the guy came and the one who suspected it said that he confirmed that it was one. So uh, I guess I mean there's been no no bites or anything like that. I don't know. Dude. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, you talked about executive functioning before, uh, and that involves, uh, the, the four aspects, the working memory, attention, theory of mind, and control. Can you kind of explain, uh, how each of those tie into your thesis? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, I've outlined those four particular components of executive functioning. Executive functioning is actually more multifaceted um, than that, but um, those are sort of like the highlights of executive functioning. So basically what I, what I talked about in my thesis, and I would like to point out just in case we got some cognitive folks out there, theory of mind is not necessarily equated as a direct executive functioning, uh, executive function, excuse me, but um, it is, uh, connected. There's been a lot of empirical validation to acknowledge it as um, interwoven with executive function. So I just sort of classified it as that in my thesis. That was my disclaimer. Um, I, I know that case, Weeks was Weeks. You were very concerned about that before. I know. So I could hear it in yeah. the tenor. I was. I was going to ask you that. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. So More much. of a baritone, but that's right. <laughs> um, so basically, here's the deal. Here's what I was thinking about in terms of the theory I'm laying out. Yes. So, you know, drama therapy incorporates a lot of role play um, and improvisation as well. And so when I was talking about how executive functioning is basically the way in which you organize your experience of the world from a cognitive standpoint, um, think about, you know, stepping into a particular role, you know, that you play. So, you know, Ryan, you and I both have backgrounds with theater. Weeks, I don't know if you have done any theater or any acting at all, have you? No, I have not, no. Uh, all right, man. Well, I take interest in it right now. Yeah, I think it's, well, this is a concept I think everybody can relate to, which is the idea of stepping into a role or character and 
in doing so, you have to utilize all of those four pieces that I've laid out. So if I'm stepping into the role of, let's say, I'm playing a character that's like a policeman, right? So I'm playing a policeman. I have to focus my attention on uh, being a policeman and staying true um, to what the reality of the, the policeman is, right? So I can't focus my attention on anything that's going to be distracting outside of that or else I'm not, you know, committing to the fidelity of playing the policeman. If I am, um, I have to use my inhibition, which means I have to block out competing impulses to play a particular character or role. Um, so if I'm going to play a policeman in this particular scene, I can't play a monkey. You know, I can't play, uh, uh, like a shorter chef, you know, like I have to play a police, but so I have to inhibit all the competing impulses that we always have um, in our lives. I have to mentally represent, which is theory of mind, somebody else's perspective. So if whoever I'm engaging with, whatever the, the scene is, I have to think to myself, oh, that person is responding to me as a, as a policeman, and what might be their perspective um, on that, and what are their given circumstances in this particular scene. Um, uh, and working memory is also the ability to sort of like intake information, and it gets complex, right, when you're playing a character because you're not only intaking information um, as yourself, but you're intaking it as the character. So you have to align with what the reality of that character is, what the reality of that role is. So in drama therapy, what we do is we help people sort of flesh out particular roles um, that they play in their lives. Um, and in doing so, help to um, either create more roles or identify what the needs of a particular role that is maladaptive or um, is not getting as much of a voice in our lives as we want it to have. Um, so stepping into uh, a role is going to help galvanize all those executive functions, right? We have to use all the things I just outlined in order to um, play out truly um, somebody else um, than ourselves in a moment. Although, as we know from uh, drama therapy theory, and I'm sure you know from your acting background, um, that we have to incorporate aspects of ourselves into the role as well, right? So that's sort of the social-emotional piece. But the cognitive piece and what's happening when you role-play is you're, you're um, focusing your attention, you're um, inhibiting competing impulses, you're mentally re representing what the other person who's with you in the scene um, might be thinking or doing what their perspective is, and you're intaking information in the role, as the role, also as yourself, but also as the role, and you're reconciling it with the information that you possess as a person. So that's what I'm sort of saying in terms of why cognitively it makes sense that those things are at play when you're stepping into a role. Same thing for um, improvisation, which is also a, a core component of drama therapy. Um, you have to constantly switch, right, in improv and be responsive and open and adaptive. And all those things I just outlined are integral to be able to doing that. So executive functioning overall, it's an umbrella term, incorporates the things I just talked about. And it also incorporates the ability to switch, to switch between um, different tasks. Um, and so in improvisation, that gets galvanized as well. So if you, you, know, if you have some folks, and my, my work is in trauma, um, and my focus is particularly in complex trauma, which is um, the repeated acts of trauma towards children, uh, the, their chronic experience and exposure to it um, over the course of their development, um, there's already um, evidence out there that it affects the prefrontal cortex, which is where executive functioning is housed. So if we can have kids engage in role-playing, improvisation, have the social-emotional piece of drama therapy, um, help them develop that piece, but also address the cognitive deficits they may be uh, facing over their developmental period being exposed to all this trauma, then that's fantastic. You know, that's exactly what we want to be doing is affecting all those domains for kids so that they can develop 
be able to process their trauma and hopefully have some sort of um, uh, executive functioning um, development or galvanization that might not have been ha- uh, attended to if not for the drama therapy practice. Jason, we, we have been talking about drama therapy for, for years now, and by far the most repeated uh, phrase that you say is umbrella term. What What is your obsession with umbrellas, and why is it an umbrella, you know, why isn't it another metaphoric symbol like a roof or something else that things go under? It's an easy out. You don't have to really define anything. You could say it's a composition of, of all these <laughs> You know, you can say umbrella term so that, therefore, you can sort of, it, it's basically layering, right? The umbrella term is true. And then I get to get specific about what what this thing is. Um, or or is, yeah, it always, is it always raining in your heart? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that might be true, Ryan. Oh. But it's got to rain in order for the sun to come out. That's right. That's true. Uh, okay. Weeks? Some, somewhere at the, end, at the end of that, there's a rainbow. That's true. Weeks? <laughs> yep. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Whoa, whoa. I you hear want you me chomping. To, I hear you, you chomping want me to the tit over here? there. What? I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in awe. I'm, I'm, I'm like kind of fascinated by this whole theory. I think it's pretty impressive and you know, the fact that you're kind of pursuing this in grad school and you know, you can practice it makes you kind of uh, you know an expert in it. So I think it's pretty I took a psychology course here and there but I don't know to this degree. I didn't even know drama therapy existed quite frankly but um, I have a question for you. Okay, I mean, go ahead. You know, based on what I've heard today, drama therapy is kind of like stepping into a role and kind of like working through your problems through that role and interaction with the therapist or whatnot. And um, is there, I guess, empirical evidence or statistical evidence that says that this also builds character? This is also can be a preventative tool and, and you know, because the kid, you know, yeah, he has trauma at home, and then he, has, he he plays a rollout with a therapist, and then he has to go back home. You know, he has to, you know, face the trauma. Maybe he's getting beat at home, or maybe, you know, he's in a right. bad neighborhood. That That's still always going to exist. But is that going to build up a character? Is that going to, you know, is he automatically going to switch into this role and be able to face those kinds of, you know, demons and what whatnot? And uh, does it have a role other than being, you know, treating something? Does it have a, a individual building role, you know, like a character building role. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but yeah, you uh, are. And I think it's, I think it's an awesome question. I think that's, that's exactly the idea, right? Is that, um, what drama therapy helps you do is to not only identify roles that, um, you don't have in your life that you want to have in your life, um, or that you want to address that you might not be playing out in your life in a way that is suitable or conducive to your own development but you also get to practice and rehearse roles that you want to play in your life, right? So mm-hmm. the process of um, engaging in the, in the dramatic role play, engaging in the improvisation, um, engaging in the various methods of drama therapy that help you understand yourself, you could look and say, hey, you know, not only am I affected in, in this way and that's, I'm actually operating at a deficit, I, I don't want that, I want to in some way address that so I feel better and I can navigate my world more fluidly, but... Mm-hmm. This is actually what I want for myself. I want to play this role with with uh, much more with, with much greater capacity. 
I want to be handled, I want to be able to handle this situation with much greater capacity. So so let's try that out. You know, mm-hmm. let's 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 practice that in in the therapy. And you know what what I actually know now, having gone to my first year of, of uh, my PhD and taking a neuropsych course, is I know that actually when you mentally practice something, there's more blood flow to the areas in the brain that um, flow when that action is actually being processed or actually being enacted, right? So we actually know that there's more activity that happens once you rehearse something um, in the brain and then when you do it, right? So you're actually preparing yourself in the rehearsal cognitively from a neuropsychological perspective to be able now to go into an environment and um, engage in that desired behavior, and you, and you can do it, you know, just by going through the process of, of practicing it. And, yes, there's the cognitive piece with the blood flow, but also um, there's the social-emotional piece as well, where you're saying, I actually have the power to be able mm-hmm. to do this now. I've done it before, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes when you're in a situation um, that might be threatening or dangerous, you don't know what to do because mm-hmm. it's scary. It's scary. And when people face trauma, we have a biological reaction, and, and there are three possibilities that we've outlined sort of in, in the um, – in the uh, research around it, which is that you have a flight response, right? Meaning you sort of like, all right, I got to get out of here to, to preserve myself. So your body sort of kicks into gear. Your um, nervous system says, let's get out of here because we have the time and the space to do it. And that's going to, you know, um, preserve us. You have the flight response where you sort of like dig and you're like, no, I'm going to actually, I have to defend for my life. Or you have the freeze response, which is where you sort of numb out, you know, in the moment and you, and, and you freeze. So, um, you know, all these responses um, can happen, and when you're in a traumatic situation, they, they, they might. And so if you're able to sort of have more of a conscious cognitive awareness of what your desire for, how you want to um, interact with a situation that might be threatening, or have the strength to pull yourself out of it, um, you, you can do that in the drama therapy practice. So I hope I answered the question. I think that, like, you know, that's exactly the point. It not only does it help us have reflection in terms of our own self, but out of that, uh, be able to rehearse roles that we want to play more fluidly in our lives. That's going to help us um, move forward in a in a healthy way. Right. No, no, you definitely answered the question. That's perfect. Yeah. Answer, because I was looking at it not just as a treatment way, but this can be used in every area of life. I think it could be used, you know, when we're small children, you know, drama, you know, role-playing and whatnot and drama therapy and, you know, kind of almost even figuring out what you want to do in your life, uh, you know, what, yeah. in certain situations. You know, it could be you know, yeah, catastrophic situations, Absolutely. things like that. Um, well, well, can I ask one more question? Or Oh, yeah. Can I ask yes. one for real quick? Yeah, you sure. Think Go ahead. About it, like, this is, so play is also a huge part of drama therapy, right? Um, and this is how we learn about the world when, when, when we're kids. We play. Right. You know, like, if I want to, I look at a fireman and I'm like, oh, what's, what's that about? And all of a sudden, I'm like at preschool or in kindergarten or whatever, and I'm playing fireman. I have to think to myself, wait a second, what does the fireman do? Right. Fireman does this. Oh, yeah, that's how I know about the world. I want to play mommy or daddy. So I have an understanding of what mommy and daddy is, right? So we play together to not only navigate social interactions with our peers and understand mm-hmm. how to socially uh, function, but also what the world is around us. You know, and mm-hmm. that's how we learn as kids. Well, and then at some point, you know, that sort of gets pushed aside and somebody says no more play, and then we unfortunately lose that sensibility. But, you know, drama therapy is also a practice of reinstituting more flexibility and more play um, into somebody's life so that they can have more adaptability as they fluidly move through other social interactions. So just want to make that point. But please. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. I think, um, 
and, and along that same pattern, uh, you know, opposite kind of, uh, could drama therapy use, be used for adults? You know, because when I, when I think about adults, you know, it's just, you know, I'm a young adult, um, you know, I have a job. We all kind mm-hmm. of play roles in life. You know, we're different from in our job, I think, at least I am, in my job versus when <laughs> I I'm would adult. hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, I mean, like, and there's kind of a shutoff there. So, like, I'm saying, you know, when you do your role playing, an adult, I would think it's more difficult because we can shut off the role, you know, and we kind of have our own, we're already kind of our own person, and we can't really change that so much. I think it's more difficult. Uh, does it work with adults? And the other thing is, are there any other techniques to combine with drama therapy, like hypnosis, you know, where you actually kind of, Kind of not controlling the person, but they're, they're freer of those kinds of biases during the day, that kind of thing. Does, does that work, or has that ever been explored? Um, I'll answer the first part of your question. I'm not sure I quite understood the second, the, the, the second part of your question. When you said there was something oh, combined the trauma therapy, what exactly did you mean? Oh, like the, 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 you know, like does it work for adults? I guess you know. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. You know, as, as adults, then... we're not as open to role-playing, and we have these kind of right. set roles already in life. You know, you have a job, you have your husband. You know, these these roles are kind of like already paved, you know, and, you know, it, it's, it, there's less of an open mind, and there's sure. probably less of a willingness to kind of take on drama, and, you know, or, you know, we might take it on, but we might not, you know, implement it in right. actual real life, you know? So I, th- I think, so it, absolutely, it's used with adults all the time, everywhere. Um, and it's, a, it's across the age spectrum. And I think you make a fantastic point, which is that, you know, as we get older, we have more concretized roles in, in our lives, which makes it actually more difficult because if you think about one of those roles is maladaptive in some way or is bothering you, you think to yourself, well, I can't get out of here. You know, I can't, I can't break this role. I spend a lot of time, you know, like trying to get here and now I'm dissatisfied with it or it's affecting me in a way I didn't expect. And, and that's, that's harmful to me in some way. So... Absolutely, drama therapy is used in order to address those things and help people flesh out all aspects of a role, right? So you want to explore why that particular role is bothering you in some way. What about that role is, is getting in your way? Um, and, and can you institute for yourself the flexibility and the adaptability and the playfulness to be able to address that, right? So that's what drama therapy is about. It's reinstituting that curiosity that we have as children about ourselves and about the world around us and mm-hmm. being able to tolerate, you know, some of these roles that we've created for ourselves. And then if we want to in some way move through them or break out of them, finding ways to do that through um, exploring the needs of a particular role, um, through being able to rehearse new roles, through, you know, imagining, you know, what it might be like to be in a different context or, or different situation and playing that out, revisiting perhaps. Um, moments, moments um, in your life um, that you would have liked to have a, a, a different course of action, which we think was dramatic, but that also fits in with drama therapy. And doing it in a, in, a, in a metaphoric, symbolic way, right? So part of the reason why we institute metaphor is to allow people to gain what we call an aesthetic distance, all right, which means um, that entering into a metaphor allows you to be sort of cognitively aware and also emotionally available. We don't want to put somebody in a position where um, they're way too emotional and there's no cognitive aspect there. They're not, they're, they're not intellectualizing anything. It's all raw emotion all the time because that's going to be overwhelming and flooding. And we don't want to put somebody in a position um, where they're all intellectualized and they've cut themselves off from their emotions. You want to have a balance. And putting one, oneself into metaphor, into role, allows you to sort of play that out in what we call aesthetic distance. 
you're cognitively aware and you're also emotionally available. There's a certain containment to that. Um, that and art therapy uses this, dance therapy uses this, music therapy, whatever creative arts therapy medium you use, it incorporates this idea of finding symbolism and metaphor um, as like a common ground between cognition and emotion. And that's that's true for adults and for kids. And the idea is to develop this curiosity, um, this playfulness, um, this uh, sort of flexibility that oftentimes the weight of the world, you know, gets in our way. And and we want to be able to to address that by examining how it gets in our way and what 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 roles are creating our feeling of of being stuck. And how do we create more more fluidity? And so developing people's roles, the different roles that they play in their lives. Um, how they go about it, what, what strategies that they're using by engaging in role play um, and um, having people um, create roles or identify roles that they might not have been conscious of before but they are playing in their lives through, through the age spectrum is, is the goal of trauma therapy. So it absolutely is relevant to, to all, all ages and it's about you know harnessing that initial curiosity that we're born into the world with. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I mean, uh, I wouldn't sit in the urinal. <laughs> that wasn't me. That wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Weeks. Go ahead. What were you saying? You wouldn't sit in a what? No, no. I, I just got to say this. You know, the, um, there's no limitations to this, really. I mean, you could kind of rid the world of racism in a way with trauma therapy. You know, I'm just... You know, not to dumb down your whole theory, but and it's, uh, but you know, you sound like no. It takes me back to like the you know Time to Kill, where Matthew McConaughey is talking about to the you know the jury, and he's like, you know, because I think about it in legal terms, where he's you know, imagine yourself as 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 this black girl, and you know, people kind of you know identify with that, even though they may have you know histories of racism or prejudice, and if you then you have them act out a role, I mean, they really may truly understand equality and certain ideals and justice and whatnot. And uh, I think it's 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 had massive potential, and I wish you the best of luck. I think that's uh, that's great. And there's also you know, and to play more practical roles, like like stepping into a certain role that that's not yourself. And drum therapy is also about creating sort of imaginary roles, and then understanding yourself in relationship to that imaginary role. It came out of your psyche for some reason, you know, that you, you create a role. So what is your relationship, you know, to to that role? stepping back after the role play and understanding how you played that role out and why you played the role the way that you did. And what does that say about, you know, how you navigate the world around you and how you understand yourself and how you understand um, your relationships. So there can be practical components of it too, like in A Time to Kill, where you sort of use theory of mind, which I was talking about, to sort of mentally represent somebody else's experience. And it's also sort of like allowing yourself to just kind of create a character through a creative process. And then going through a reflection period afterward and sort of figuring out how exactly does that fit into my narrative in terms of, of my life. Right. Um, and that's, you know, and that's, and that's, that's part of the creative arts therapy process is understanding how, how metaphor is related to um, yourself and your psyche and your well-being and how you can harness it to, to, to help develop areas of yourself that um, you would like to. Okay. Weeks, are, are you sure that that, scene from A Time to Kill was Matthew McConaughey and that it was the movie A Time to Kill? Uh, I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> because I nope. thought, I think the scene that you're referring to was my favorite scene in a, a movie with uh, Amanda Bynes. 
Which one? You love all of them, right? Uh, probably the she. She's. But we better not start that yet. Um, no, we better not. <laughs> uh, so, uh, b- Jason, uh, we got to wind this down. But the uh, we, we talked briefly the other night about how um, what you're currently working on uh, relates to things like Asperger's syndrome. Can you talk a little bit about about that and the uh, various types of, of mental uh, learning disorders and such and how it relates to your current work? Um, well, you know, my thesis has sort of outlined some of the executive function deficits um, that are present in um, some of the DSM diagnoses. I talk about schizophrenia. I talk about um, people on the autism spectrum, um, mm-hmm. trauma, but, you know, PTSD as well, and a number of other uh, mental health disorders. But my focus right now is particularly on trauma. And as I was mentioning before, sort of um, executive functioning is identified um, in the research as something that is impacted by traumatic events. So if my theory is correct, that trauma therapy engagement helps to galvanize, you know, those um, executive functions, which we need to use in everyday life and also to learn and process and problem solve and rationalize and um, engage with one another, you know, social engagement, um, all those attention, inhibition, working memory, theory of mind, those are all necessary for us to, um, you know, have cognitive flexibility and and navigate the world around us. Um, If drama therapy can help in some way to um, develop those cognitive skills, and I'm not talking about changing the brain chemistry. I'm talking about helping people to focus their attention, helping you know, helping people to sort of be more specific um, about the way in which um, they process the world around them. So it's not you know all over the place like like would be an ADHD where they have difficulty with the attentional processing, uh, but have more capacity to focus their attention, um, engage with people, and mentally represent other people's experiences. Um, you know, then that's that's a huge victory, man, and that's something that um, can really benefit a lot of individuals, not only with their schoolwork and their academics, but also with their social engagement and their well-being, you know, because if you're sort of cognitively all over the place or there's a lot of cognitive interference, that's going to bleed itself out into all other domains of life. Socially, you're not going to be as attuned to other people. Um, you might not be able to really reflect on your own needs and what, what's going on internally for you, too. You might not have and more of an open communication with your own socially emotional processing. So helping cognitive function, functioning um, galvanize itself and get to a place where there's fluidity there is really about affecting the quality of somebody's life. So trauma therapy through, you know, this idea of role play and improvisation, galvanizing these cognitive functions can in some way, you know, improve somebody's position in life um, and also the social emotional piece of drama therapy happening concurrently then you're addressing, you know, the traumatic fallout from the social emotional piece, the the relational piece, and also from a cognitive piece. And so, if that's the case, then you know we should institute this in all schools everywhere, so that when kids come to school, mm-hmm. they know that they have um, an opportunity and uh, uh, the advantage to sort of engage in a process and a method that's going to help them out socially, emotionally, and cognitively too. Mm-hmm. You are so smart. You are. It's like I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that comment, but um, you know there are people, uh, you know, like my boss, 
um, up in New Haven, um, David Johnson. You know, this is something he advocates for a lot, and I'm really carrying on his message. I can't take credit for it. I'm, you know, I'm, my articulation was the cognitive piece, and that's what I'm trying to work on with drama therapy, and that's sort of what I'm bringing to the, the, the trauma piece. But he makes this incredible argument that I'm always in awe of and I always have a lot of respect for, which is why don't we ask kids when they come to school about if they're being hurt, if somebody is perpetrating against them, we have to go to the doctors and make sure that they're physically okay. But then all of a sudden, when it comes to asking them if anybody's harming them, we shy away from it because it's taboo. Mm-hmm. And imagine imagine what it would be like if we had an open conversation as a society about the perpetration happening towards kids. If they're getting abused, if they're witnessing domestic violence, if there's gun violence going on, how much more uh, open and engaged and uh, 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 available and and calm down and de-escalate it, kids would be if they knew that people were paying attention to those aspects of their lives rather than them having to compartmentalize it and then acting out in class because they don't know how to process it. So they're oppositional. Mm-hmm. You know, they're isolative. They're not paying attention. And these are all right. symptoms of trauma, and they get misdiagnosed a lot. So if we mm-hmm. ask kids before they, as a screening before they go into school, hey, are you okay? Or are you safe? Is anybody harming you? You know, then, first of all, perpetrators will think twice before actually per- perpetrating as a child. Mm-hmm. And we also create a society that's aware of these things. Trauma treatment shouldn't happen behind closed, I mean, it should happen behind closed doors, obviously, in a psychotherapeutic context, but the, the identification of trauma in our society should not happen behind closed doors. It should be an open conversation in the school system, um, in, in, pu- in public domain areas, so that we norm the conversation around these things happening. And uh, that's something that I'm advocating for and that, you know, I've really been endowed with that for my work at the Trauma Center with the work of David Johnson and Hadar Lubin and all these wonderful um, trauma therapists and Kim Jewers Daily runs the um, schools program out there. And um, a lot of folks at the Trauma Center are doing some really wonderful work in terms of thinking about this um, uh, up in New Haven and trying to implement it in the the New Haven public school system. And, you know, I'm I'm part of that crew. Um, I'm representing it now. I, I'm, I'm not taking credit for it being solely my idea because it's absolutely not. There's a lot of folks out there thinking about it very critically and working hard on it. Uh, you, uh, you make some really great points there, particularly about the whole, you know, why not, you know, you get in on the ground floor. You just say, oh, what's, what's wrong? Something wrong. I mean, that's that's a that's a great point. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, talk about drama therapy related before we end the conversation? Um, not necessarily. You know, I, I think I've, <laughs> I think I've covered the ground I'd like to cover tonight. But, you know, just that drum therapy is out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we're a, we're a growing community. And uh, I encourage anybody listening, you know, if you're interested in it, obviously, to uh, explore it at ADTA.org. Um, you can go look up drama therapy and check it out. Uh, buy, you know, buy some drama therapy books. Um, email the communications chair, which just so happens to be me. At uh, <laughs> communications at nadta.org, and you know, feel feel free to ask me some questions. You know, I think um, that's the first step to learning about the process. And you know, trauma therapy is obviously incredibly multifaceted and encompasses a lot more than I was able to cover tonight. Um, and uh, you know, I was able to present sort of a a limited version of it, but it's 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 uh, it's a very uh, unique. And I think uh, there, I'm sure I'll come on this program in another three years and and, and do a, do a, do a so, But but uh, we're out there. It's alive. It's alive. Well, um, 
we certainly appreciate you coming on, and uh, I just want to want to close. Uh, I want I want to play a few, uh, just play a few clips for you to to uh, uh, say thank you. Okay. Half uh, now. All right. All right. Uh, here we go. Just putting it up in, insert it, and then just pull the cardboard out. Put put it up in what? You said serve in your, it. The banner. In the what? Yeah. In your butt. Uh, your. Uh, did, you, did you say in my in my butt? Your butt. Yeah, up, you know, up the front of your butt. Just stick it in there. Um, and now, are there are there safer ways to to handle this situation, or you just think up the butt's the easiest way to go? Yeah, I'll just stick it up your javanus, and that's it, honey. It, it only goes in the javanus. You don't uh, put it in, in, in the white. Uh, I'm right. sorry. You, you, it goes up where? You you said a word that I didn't hear before. The same word. I'm not pronouncing it very well. The same word you said that. Instead of the penis, the other it goes up the butt. Vagina. Uh, <laughs> no, I put them up the vagina. I don't put them up their butt. It's just for oh the javina from the the javina. Yeah, javina. Yeah, it's to keep. It's just for like when you're on your period for ladies. <laughs> I do. It really honors. It really honors the work. I think. <laughs> <laughs> the Javana. Um, I was right. just going to say. I was going to say. Hey, Ryan. You know, I wanted to give a shout out to the place that I work. I don't know if I mentioned the full name or the program. But I don't know. After that clip, should I? <laughs> I was going to say. You better <laughs> not. not should I? I guess. No. Yeah. Go ahead. Do it. I guess. Well, no. So the place, that, the place that I work at, I mentioned the center a number of times in New Haven. It's called the Post Traumatic Stress Center in New Haven, Connecticut, and um, it's run by uh, Doctors Johnson and a psychiatrist named uh, Hadar Lupin. And the uh, school's program, the wing of the Post Traumatic Stress Center, is called the Alive Program, which is animating learning by integrating and validating experience. That's the acronym of Alive. So if anyone's interested in that, you can also Google that and, and seek that out. And this is the New Haven Public School System. All right. Well, uh, Jason Friedman, always a pleasure. I love you, buddy. Thanks for coming on, and we'll do it again in three years. All right, buddy. Weeks. Great to meet you, man. Uh, Great to meet you as well, and and good luck, sir. You know, and congratulations. You really got a great idea there, and I hope you run with it as far as you can. You too, man. All right, guys. Take it easy. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. We had fun too. Good night. Good night. Weeks, do you ever try to unsubscribe from, from an email list? Yeah, it's, it's terribly impossible. I don't know why. Impossible. It's, well, it's, I don't know why, but it's, it's ridiculous. Impossible. You may as well, you know, don't even try it. You, you, they'll find you, and they'll shoot you in the leg. Don't even try <laughs> unsubscribing. I have, because here's the deal. I downloaded an application um, because I read about this application called Mailbox. And I don't know about you, but my Jamalia is very cluttered. Is yours? Yes, always. You know, I'm always finding stuff in there. It shouldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. So my Jamalia is incredibly – there's just always – I'm getting constant emails every day from shit I never read. And 
Uh, I and you know it, it, it's mostly because it's Jamalia and not AOL or whatever. It's mostly because I've signed up for like through Facebook or whatever. So then they have my email address if it's an application or whatever. So then it's just this constant you know emailing thing. Um, and uh, uh, the, and so I've been. What I did was I downloaded an app called Mailbox because I read about it like people just raving about this. Mailbox and how they're not using the regular mail application on the iPhone anymore, but Mailbox for the iPhone and iPad. <clears throat> and it's a really great app. And what it does is it'll, it'll declutter your mailbox and move everything to archived and stuff. And so then I decided after I uh, got to a zero balance on my inbox, it was like getting to one on my credit card. It was just a miracle. Um, <laughs> It's after doing that, I decided, okay, well, now it'll be easy to unsubscribe from things when they come in. Mm-hmm. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> and the, there are so many emails, and I hit unsubscribe, and it'll say, it'll take 48 hours. It'll take 72 hours. It'll take 10 days. How the hell is it going to call itself taking 10 days to unsubscribe me from a fucking list just stop sending me these damn emails and uh like it it is so so i unsubscribe and then i get another email from the same thing because it takes 10 days and then i i forget what i've unsubscribed from so i click unsubscribe again and i bet you that that's going to add a day to my unsubscription (laughs) that's right Dan, if you do, Dan, if you don't, dude, I, I yeah. was just have kept the subscription. There's nothing you can do. It's over. Even if you unsubscribe, you'll, you'll never be able to get away from these guys. They're like animals. <laughs> you know what the worst is? That I unsubscribe from something. I click unsubscribe. It takes me to their website. I have to go through the rigmarole of clicking what I want to unsubscribe from. There's not like an umbrella term to use the same term. There's not like an umbrella unsubscription. So I got to unsubscribe, click everything, go through all that rigmarole to stop receiving emails. Guess what happens the moment I click submit on the unsubscription? I get a fucking email saying I've been unsubscribed. You know, like, the whole point is to stop the emails. Just stop it. That's right. Stop. Stop it. Stop. It's one, it's just like, uh, you know, someone flipping you the bird at the very end. They're like, sure, you can subscribe. We're going to send you one more email yet, son of a pig. Yes. It's bitch, Flomo. Uh, (laughs) uh, All right. um, So, so yeah, just, it's it's impossible to unsubscribe from anything. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> anyway, back to the normal show next week. Uh, be more of a free for all, but uh, I think at weeks I think you know I I didn't learn much because uh, I I can't even sit up straight right now. But I think that you learned a lot. Oh, I learned a, a great deal. I, uh, that was that's fascinating. I think he really knows what he's talking about, and he's got a really uh, grasp on the concept. And hopefully his uh, paper goes well, and you know hopefully. Hopefully, it's teaching the stuff at Yale one day, you know, and you know, changing the world. I, you know, I, two things I want to say. I want to say, if I can say them real quick. Yes. You have, uh, you know, you're great in acting. You have the drama hookup. He has the kind of the, the academic side of things. 
guys should make a movie like Goodwill Hunting on drama therapy. I think that's, you know, get the word out. You know, that'd be great. Write something up. Do something, you know, with that. You know, I think it'd be perfect. You know, because I don't know about it. I had no idea, you know. I think this, the word's got to get out. And number two, I think he should yeah. be testifying at, uh, at Congress or testifying at least at the, you know, Connecticut General Assembly, you know, where I was a legislative analyst when they were talking about Sandy Hook and mental mm-hmm. uh, disabilities and they were talking about gun legislation. This is the stuff we have to talk about, drama therapy and therapy for kids and getting them through yeah. the tough times because everybody has tough times. It's not about guns. It's not about you know, uh, you know, those kinds of legislation is about preventing it, you know, kind of being there before it even happens and being ready and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, he, I'd love to see him testify, you know, at, at, at Connecticut so the politicians can hear it and at least, you know, hopefully one of them will sign up for it. He's got to get the word out of there. Not only does he have to be an academic, but he has to be an activist, and I think he's doing that, and I, I wish him the best of luck. It's interesting that you say um, that uh... – the, 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 dealing with kids and the uh, getting in there, helping people out, using um, drama therapy, uh, I, that, that you think that this is uh, effective because I, I think that people often scoff at creative arts therapies uh and particularly drama therapy because it's newer and it's a very small community for instance the first interview i did with jason friedman got a lot of acclaim in the drama therapy community but that's only because it's it was like five people um so uh but the thing is that uh, art therapy has been along around a long time so it, it has people just know the term you know they don't really know anything about it but they they know the term and whatever um, but I, I can tell you that, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt that, uh, theater is an incredibly powerful tool and skill. And it, um, it, honestly, I would not, I don't know, I would be so lost without, without theater, without having that, uh, at ECA in New Haven, uh, see, New Haven is very revolutionary in a, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so without that, uh, and then without Syracuse drama, um, I would be very lost. So, uh, you know, and I didn't get into it until I was 15, but say you have kids who, uh, and even if they're not going to pursue it as, as a career, but that they have that experience early on, I think it could be very, very beneficial, not only... Uh, in terms of trauma, but just life in in general. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh yeah, I I, I see that something that I could use. Right. I, you know, only wish it was in every school, really. You know, and it all it takes is someone who really believes in it and going as far as they can with it. You know, I think you know Friedman's got it. You know, he's pretty much an expert in it. He just has to run with it. He's being very modest, and you know, but mm-hmm. you know, um, I haven't heard of it until he he brought it up. So. Uh, I think he's just continue it and do it on a larger scale. Do it big. Go big. You know? Do you think, th- so y- you say you wish we had it when we were in school. Say that, say that we're in international studies, sophomore year of high school, and it's you, me, and Rod Khan, and all the North Haven motherfuckers, and say that Dr. Stedman, Jacques Payne, Monadipa, 
it, it decides one day, rather than do an international studies course, to have a drama therapy session. What would that look like? <laughs> probably looks about the same. With, uh, those North they have North Haven kids going nuts and destroying everything, and us being the only ones who actually listened and you know actually acting out. Those those kids were terrible. Terrible. You know, you know, I'm not sure I listened. To be honest, I'm not sure I listened. Are you listening? I mean, you, whatever. He, well, actually, I don't think I learned a damn thing in that class. <laughs> it was 9.30 on a Saturday morning, you know? It was, it was terrible. I, <laughs> all I remember is, like, laughing about who would go, go, get there later, me or you. <laughs> really? Was was I late frequently? No, you were no, you were actually sorry. You were always on time. But I uh, would laugh about me coming in about half an hour late every single time. <laughs> and I, the only thing I remember, really, is... Other other than the weird sh- shifting of professor, <laughs> like do you remember when Doctor Karen Stedman came that one time and she acted as if she, she had taught the class for like a year and it was the first time we had ever seen her. That was the bizarre because she was like calling us by our first names. We had no <laughs> idea who she was. We didn't know where where Jack Payne was. <laughs> 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 Jack was a very work... strange lad. Wasn't he African American, but he like married a Japanese woman, or he lived in Japan, and he spoke French. He had a well, he had a French name. I don't know if he spoke French. Oh yeah, that's Jacques. right. That's right. Yeah, but that's he, right. yeah, he was all, and he had a Southern accent. And then Mane Deepa, uh, and he also worked at Radio Shack. And then Mane Deepa. Um, or uh, she did a she ate beef every. Day. I'll never forget. Whenever I hear a girl say she loves beef, I always think of Monte Deepa talking <laughs> talking about how she. Oh, I eat beef every day. Saying it like it was a good thing to me that it sounds unhealthy. Like it sounds like you'll get some sort of disease from that. Right, like, like mad cow disease or something. Yeah, that, that was yeah. very. That was a very strange class. I don't know why those entertainers got up at 9.30 on Saturday, every Saturday, to go there and just destroy the class. That's all they did. They went there to not learn and disrupt, and it was amazing. Did I, I – I must have told you this, but you know that woman's name was not Money Deepa, right? You know what? It, I, I've heard Money Deepa so many times, I think that's her name. Well, her name, not to mention any names, but her name was Alana Dixon, and uh, I was uh, uh, talking to Jesus, because Jesus knew her too somehow, I think, and I was we were at tennis practice at, at Yale when our courts were being renovated, and I was talking to Jesus, and we were talking about Mane Deepa did this, Mane Deepa did that, and I had gotten the name Mane Deepa because Mane Deepa was a chemistry teacher at HSC, another high school in New Haven. And our tennis captain, Samir, uh, went to HSC. So we're talking about Mane Deepa. And then Samir goes, wait, Mane Deepa? And I go, oh, a different Mane Deepa. And if you don't understand how ridiculous that moment is of me yelling out a different Mane Deepa, then something is wrong with you. How many Mana Deepas and Zippas are? I can't even say it right. Deepa, How many Mana Deepas and Zippas? Mana Deepas? 
Oh, my gosh. That was a bizarre class. How about that Clifton Graves class, huh? I think he I think he got in trouble for something recently, didn't he? I think he did, actually, yes. I forgot what, what it that? was. I'm, yeah, I, don't I don't know. I don't want to say because I don't remember. But he yeah. got in trouble. He it, got in trouble, something, yeah. Something city-related. It had something to do with the... Oh, no, it was at... Wasn't it? It was something at Southern. Uh, oh, I remember. I remember. He he had like he taught the class or had the class read like a uh, some sort of poem about. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, it was either I can't remember if it was after Obama got elected president or it was right before, but it it was he was taking a seemingly political stance in a class, right? Right, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't, you know, okay. I thought it was, you know, okay. But, but don't you feel like first. there was something else? I feel like there was something more recent. I feel like there's something more recent and something more serious, actually. I don't, I'm not sure what it was, though. Oh, boy. Um, all was, right, well. He was a good professor. <laughs> Uh yeah, he he was great. I I you know I couldn't have I I never in a million years could have gone and rented Aaron Brockovich by myself. I never you know I was incapable of doing that or renting a civil action. It was you know so I'm so glad that he instilled the skills within me to be able to do those very difficult things. You know what? Sometimes I really wish, you know, I wish we could, like, get a directory of the, cl- the students in that class and find out what they're doing with their lives currently. I mean, I, th- I probably couldn't even recognize one of them, but it'd be pretty yeah. interesting to see what's going on in their lives. Yeah, I have no idea who the hell was in that class. And I took that class twice, and I can't remember one single person except you. <laughs> Not yeah, I remember soul. you. That's about it. I don't remember yeah, anyone it. else. I remember that whole class was full, though. And I remember coming in that class even later than the other one. Wait, I'm starting to remember. There was a girl. There was a girl in that class. Named there was a Drea. white girl there, I think. Do you remember yes. Drea? The girl, that girl, yeah, Drea? Yeah, Drea. Yeah, and she, yeah. we had like a little thing. There was like a little thing there going on. Yes. Kind of. Yeah, I remember that. And what I remember. Rod, what's up with Rod? <laughs> Rod? Rod. 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 <laughs> Rod's Facebook profile picture is just a black square. <laughs> you know, you you set us up when we were supposed to meet Rod, you know. No. You, know, you, totally, no. you ruined that. <laughs> it could have been a really momentous occasion, you know. I think Rod's gone now. I don't know where the hell he is now. And, you know, but you were like, yeah, sure, I'll be there. I didn't even show up either, though. (laughs) What are you talking about? How are you blaming this on me? Neither of us. You you prevented that whole meeting. How? That could have been amazing. What did I do? I didn't do it. I forgot he was even in town. (laughs) I think I told you, you were like, no, no, man, no, 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 no. I think that's and that might be true. I was like, nah, nah, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> but I wish him the best. Uh, you know, he's, he's I a nice too. kid. I do too. I wish him the best. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I worry about him though. <laughs> Sometimes I really do worry about him as well. Did he, he get all strung out? Play, though. Strung? Hmm? Was he? 
Yeah, he was supposed to be a pretty good soccer player, yeah. Yeah, I remember that was so weird when seeing him walk in dressed in the uniform with all the other North Haven soccer. It was like, oh, Rod is one of them, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But he, he defected and he came to our side and he was awesome. He was quiet. I remember he was very quiet, but he was a nice guy. Yeah, I don't think he was that quiet. <laughs> oh, by the way, do you think Fogarty... Uh, how about that moment last week? I have been waiting for that Fogarty wheeze for a, a year now. And finally, such a dumb joke, too, got him to do it. <laughs> I think you need to put more of those kinds of jokes in there. That was amazing. Yeah. That was probably the best joke off last week. Yeah, it was. It was It was stellar. Stellar jack He had a great Don Weeks impression, and they used <laughs> the weed. The what? The weed? Oh, the weeds, the weeds, the weeds, and the weeks, and we had the um, what do you call it? The uh, uh, I, I played the the Will Arn the the donkey balls, the Will Arnett agreeing, you know, coming to your defense. That's right, that's right. Yeah, see, Will, Will, Will's my boy. You know, that's how we do. Hey, John Weeks, I've lost forty point five pounds. Oh my God! Are you, congratulations, bro. Jeez. Forty what? Oh my god! A hundred thirty-one days sober. Wow! Wow! Congratulations, man. That's ridiculous. And I just Uh, got in. You're going strong, brother. And you know, it's the thing is, there's it's. I I gave up this one thing, right? And and just giving up this one thing. It, it's and I'm not saying like it's. It, I gave up alcohol and it's 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 work and it's not easy uh, and you gotta always stay very vigilant. But um, th- there have been so many good things that have come into my life in the last 131 days. You know, yeah. but, but before while drinking and not that I ever drank every day, but before uh, it was impossible for me to lose. I, I wouldn't have lost 40 pounds drinking. Uh, I wouldn't have gotten this, this new job if I was drinking. I, I, I wouldn't uh, have been going to the gym five days a week. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have straightened up my apartment, which right now is a disaster, but hopefully it'll be back to normal soon, um, if, I, if I were drinking. And uh, it, it's, it's just, it's amazing, like, like I don't, there's no magic pill and it's a lot of work but I do think that there is something to that whole you you put the positive energy out and you're going to get good things back, you know what I mean? That's right. That's right. And uh you know, it takes a lot of willpower. Like you said, a lot of work and uh determination, but you're doing it, man. You you this is uh this is amazing. It's like a transformation here, you know, and uh you know, that's great. I think it's a great thing. Thank you're doing you. it the honest way. You're doing it the right way, you know. Thank you. B. Marsh calls it the great transformation of 2014. I think it is. Just like Michael Jackson was the greatest unifier of our, our time. You're the greatest <laughs> transformation probably in the last decade or so. Since, right. Uh, I, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say the greatest transformation since Michael Jackson turned, you know, his face <laughs> into whatever it became. I was going to say the greatest transformation... Since uh, the USSR broke up, 
You know, we got this, I remember last year after he died, my friend, uh, I actually went to that 30 Years of Magic Webster Hall thing with John Weeks. He said, uh, he called Michael the great unifier of our time. Uh, Would you agree with that uh, statement? The great unifier of our time. Wow. That's a great question. In a sense, yes.
this grape tuna seltzer. And then you realize, I should go over to the movie section and find out what my favorite scene, and she's the... Nothing compared to the whole <laughs> salty coke oh, washed down. That was like a lapse in time. Seriously, I'm not kidding. There was like something happened there. I don't know. There was like a serious lapse in time, and I don't and think I was in the right dimension. I wasn't in the right dimension at that time. <laughs> All right, my favorite scene, and she's my favorite. <laughs> It's got to be where the mind of Bonnie's mind plays Jack O'Donnell, Ben Affleck's boss in Argo. I think he's got some of the. She's got the greatest quotes ever here. I'm not leaving him at the airport with six people on his dick in his hand. Now tell the director to call the White House, do your fucking job. Got another one. You're a fucking spy agency. Find him. And last, thank you, Canada. Thank you. <laughs> That's my favorite season. She's a main main picture, main main main. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, my favorite scene is she's the mind. She's the mind. 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 Amanda Bynes is <laughs> It's a scene where Amanda Bynes plays a 31-year-old man living in a Brooklyn apartment and uh she do a pack up a bunch of her shit because of uh, an infestation. And she goes to Home Depot on uh, both a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Both times buys uh, eight XXL Ziploc bags, which each time costs $60 so that she can seal airtight uh, her shit for the extern when the extern comes, and <laughs> and and she uh, realizes after she purchases all this crap 
and packs everything away, that there is a mesh lining on the top of these particular bags where air can come in and go out. So, at 2 a.m., <laughs> let's just say last night, on the Wednesday night, she goes to the gas station on the corner to get large $5 trash bags to cover up the $60 Ziploc bags that she shouldn't even bought in the first place, asshole. And that's my favorite scene of She's the Mind Mind with the Mind. Thank you. Thank you. I can think of no better way of ending the show than by saying, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. Hit the brakes, Florence. Go get some sleep, mains. Go record a podcast in your sleep. And uh, if you have a Barbie doll, what are you going to do with that trick, ho? We're going to cut off all her hair. <laughs> give her a I little thought you were going to say cock. <laughs> and that. Give her a little tint of brown and... Well, there you go. You have the real-life Ken. Ken doll. Wait, so cut off her <laughs> cock and give her a tit of brown, and you have a Ken? <laughs> so, a, a, tint, a tint of brown, you know, skin tone, and give her a jabina, and you got Ken. Ken doll. What'd you say about Joey Fatone? <laughs> Good night, Weeks. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.